Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here and remember, we were breaking chapter 12 into parts, of course, because of the length of chapter 12. But the last time we were here, we were dealing with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But let's go back and kind of put it all together so we can understand the fullness of what God was saying to Moses, what we were saying to the children of Israel, even what he is saying to us in the celebration of these particular feasts as it pertains to Christ himself. But in totality, we looked at Exodus chapter 12. What we understand is God is preparing the children of Israel to depart from Egypt. And the reason why they would be able to depart is because of the final, the devastation of the last plague that God would bring upon the Egyptians, which would be the death of the firstborn. This is symbolized in the Passover celebration as well as the Feast of Unleavened Bread in that God had told Moses to give these instructions to the children of Israel. And this is the, the earlier part of the things that we were discussing in chapter 12. God's instruction to Moses to give to the children of Israel to take a lamb for the families, for each family, according to the proper amount that each person should eat, take the blood of that lamb. That is in the sacrifice of the lamb. You slit the lamb's throat. You catch the blood in the basin and then you would use this plant called a hyssop and you would take that plant and dip it into the basin of blood and place the blood on the side post as well as above the door. And this will be the blood of the lamb to the which when God sends the death angel through all of Egypt, when the death angel sees this blood, when God sees the blood, he will pass over every household, that is the Israelites household, in whom this blood has been applied. And so this became the Passover celebration that God had commanded them to keep memorially, that is for every successive generation. So also, and this was done on the 14th of Nisan Abib. This was the new month that God had set aside for them. Immediately following them was the second commandment to keep a particular festive occasion, which was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So as the Passover was on the evening of the 14th of Nisan, so the Feast of Unleavened, and it was one single night, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread immediately followed on the 15th, but it was a seven day festival to the which they were commanded to on the first day, remove all leaven from their homes. And then for seven consecutive days, no leaven is to be found in the home and no Israelite is to eat any unleavened bread. Now, this was also observed on the Passover feast as well. That is no eating of the unleavened bread. But with the feast of unleavened bread, this was specifically designed for that no eating of unleavened bread. And the idea of that is because it was on the 15th that was to commemorate that it was this very day, the 15th of Nisan, that God brought Israel out of Egypt by her host, by her armies, by her great congregation of peoples. And this signified Feast of Unleavened Bread, leaven and indication of sin, that is pride, the rising up against God's commandment, rising up and breaking God's commandment, which is sin itself, 
And so therefore the seven days indication perpetual something that is perpetual or something that continues for the rest of the life of the individual. The spiritual case is feast of unleavened bread respond to the Passover, respond to God sparing your life. That is sparing your life, the spiritual signification through the death of Jesus Christ. Respond to that by unleavened bread, seven days feast by living without sin for the rest of your life. And these, this is the spiritual indication of both uh, Passover as well as unleavened bread. God gave these instructions to Moses. Moses was to give these instructions, that is the observance of these rituals, the observance of these rituals, not the explanation behind it, because Christ had not yet been revealed yet. But in time, a long distance from now, from the time of Moses, but in time that would be revealed. But the rituals themselves would be practiced by the Israelites from generation unto generation. So Moses, and this is now coming up to where we stop. Moses called the elders of Israel and began giving them these instructions from the Lord. Okay. So now with that review, let's go to verse number 24 of, of chapter 12. That's basically where we stopped. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land, which the Lord, your, the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay, so now we are wrapping up the instructions, that is the instructions concerning the Passover, how to properly observe the Passover ritual, as well as the command to observe the ritual of the seven day feast of unleavened bread, that is eating of, no eating of unleavened bread, eating of leavened bread for those seven day uh seven day period, that particular ritual. So Moses is wrapping up these instructions to the elders of Israel because they're going to take it and tell all of the people of Israel what to do as this is, this is beginning preparing for the very time. Remember the 10th of Nisan. That's when you get ready to take the lamb and you hold the lamb up until the 14th. So they are telling them to prepare this ritual occasion observance of Passover, observance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the seven day that will continue to teach your family and give them your families and give them these instructions concerning these rituals. OK, so that's basically what's going on. So and so he tells them this will be perpetual to be remembered a memorial to be remembered. Each generation is to practice this forever and ever and ever every year. This is to be observed when you get into the land of promise. And so this will come about that in um, observance of these fee feasts. And remember now, we talked about this earlier. So go back and look at the things that we taught in the two previous videos about 
how to observe Passover and how to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. How that they, because they were so closely related, remember, Passover, Nisan 14th, Unleavened Bread, Nisan 15th, one day following after that. They would come and they became observed basically as one because of the closeness of it, okay? But nevertheless, these were basically household observances in the sense that the Passover would be celebrated for each family. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the leaven would be removed from all households. But although the leaven is removed from all households, God commanded that the whole nation should assemble together the whole. So it is a national celebration. OK, household. But at the same time, unleavened bread becomes a national celebration. But nevertheless, considering the feast of Passover as in the families being observed in the evening times, God commanded in, in commemoration of these things that the children, the idea is a child should ask questions. And this is what we find out in the Haggadah. And the Haggadah is nothing more than a prescription that is later on given in Jewish custom, a prescription in how to observe and perform the feast of the Passover by the Jewish families. So how Jewish families are to observe the feast of the Passover, how to celebrate it in your homes that night. And so to commemorate these things, there would be questions asked from the children. So the children would ask why there is something different. And this basically became uh, understood um, as the four questions. And that was basically is, you know, in, in, as we look at all other nights, why is this night any different? Uh, the, the next question uh, concerning the bread, we would eat bread with leaven at all of our other meals. But why is this meal different? Why must we eat unleavened bread? And then another question concerning the bitter herbs. Why do we eat the bitter herbs? And there will always be answers that will be given. Why is this night given? Because this is the night that God told us to observe the Passover when death struck the Egyptians. Why is, you know, why? So that's why this night is different. Why do we eat uh, bitter herbs? And because the bitter herbs remind us of the slavery that we had in the Egyptians. And then the fourth and final question, and any, all the rest of the time that we eat, we eat sitting up at the table. But why do, not, do we now eat relaxed or leaning back uh, and not eat sitting up as we normally do? So these are basically the four questions that became customary when the Jews would observe, even to this day, the Jews observe the Passover. But nevertheless, so as the children, we're back to the commentary of the text, asking these great questions, God is commanding them to, to institute such a ritual. So the children are asking questions. It brings to mind the great event of their deliverance, which is the death of the firstborn, but the gracious hand or the gracious act of God in not killing the Israelite death passing them by. So this is to be memorialized forever and spoken of by each successive generation of their people. Okay. So all of this, Moses is speaking to the elders concerning how the Passover to, is to be observed. And of course, how the seven day uh, ritual feast of the unleavened bread is to be observed. And the people, that is the elders that Moses is speaking of, Hearing what Moses is saying, 
believing what Moses is saying, because remember now, the death angel is soon to come that evening. OK, they hear what Moses is saying, receive this instruction. They believe it. They bow down in reverence to God. Why? For that great deliverance that God is about to accomplish through death of the Egyptians. OK, and following that, after hearing what Moses said, they simply go home and do what Moses told them to do. Tell them about how to deal with, to observe Passover and how to observe those unleavened bread feasts to teach their families the things that God had instructed Moses to give to them. All right. Verse 29. Now we get into the issue concerning. So all of that that we've been talking about as uh, Passover and unleavened bread has basically been preparatory as God is preparing the Israelites on what to do. That is these customs and rituals to observe specifically one ritual in particular, that is the blood that is to be posted upon the door so that that night, that is the night of the 14th, which this is where we're being moved to now, the night of the 14th, that night that the death angel is to pass over the Egyptian all throughout Egypt and they should put this blood upon their doorposts so that the death angel should pass them by. So now we come to the actual happenings of these things when death is about to move throughout all of Egypt to kill the Egyptians. In other words, the 10th and final plague is about to take place. And this is where we are in verse 29. It's now about to happen. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel and go worship the Lord. As you have said, take both your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go and bless me also. Okay. So now as we get into verse number 29, the death angel is now moved into all of the land of Egypt, according to the word of God to Moses. And in every single house, an Egyptian is dead. Now, what is important about this is we already talked about how each plague strikes against the gods of the Egyptians to show that they are impotent, that they are no gods whatsoever, that they could not deliver from the hand of the true God. So, but concerning the death of the Egyptians, the firstborn was considered to be special in the Egyptian family. So the firstborn child is special. So what God has done is struck the firstborn child of the Egyptian, whom with their idol God, Osiris, who's supposed to be the protector of the children, cannot protect against Yahweh, the true and living God of the Israelite. 
God has moved throughout all of Egypt and killed the firstborn in every household. And it doesn't matter who that family. That's why I say from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the one in the dungeon. That is from the least to the greatest. God has killed every firstborn and in every family. There is a death. There is a dead person in the house of Egypt. And so therefore, quite naturally, each Egyptian family is mourning. And you can imagine the extent, the loudness of the mourning. And it's no exaggeration. The greatness of the wailing, not of a family, not of a single house in the whole nation of Egypt. The only place where there is no mourning and screaming and yelling and and all of that is in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel are dwelling. But in every other place, can you imagine the cry that is taking place? Okay, so and this is fulfilling the word that Moses gave to Pharaoh in their last meeting that death will come upon them. And you will sin for me. No more negotiations. So as we continue on, Pharaoh himself rose into the night. His own son is dead. And this is why this is why later on we have that that other son of Pharaoh. And I don't want to get into all of the Egyptian uh, uh, um, history, but he will have this thing called the steel the steel dream in which the next son of Pharaoh, because the first son might as well go ahead and tell you. The first son of Pharaoh was considered to be a God himself. And as the God of Egypt, in that sense, under his father, he becomes the rightful heir to the throne. Since he is now dead, the next heir to the throne does not have any legitimacy to the throne. So therefore, this next son of Pharaoh has to create this so-called steel in which the gods of Egypt appear to him to tell him that he is to be the next throne, next Pharaoh of Egypt. And therefore, this legitimizes his right to the throne. And they create all of this to ignore what God has done in this final plague. God killed the son of Pharaoh, the legitimate son. So therefore, the illegitimate son, as we would call it, the next son that was born has to take over the throne and he has to come up with a reason why to legitimate, to, to legitimate his rise or his natural rise to power, why he has the right to the throne of Egypt. Okay, so that's what happened in, in, his, in Egyptian history. But nevertheless, the death of Pharaoh's son and the death of all Egyptians in every Egyptian family, it caused them to send for Moses and Aaron in the middle of the night. Because remember, it is midnight that the death destroyer has gone through all of Egypt. In the night, they send for Moses. And what does he do? He tells Moses, you, your people, your cattle, get up and get out of here. Just as God has said, he will not... He will literally thrust you out. So in this great plague that God has brought upon the Egyptians, the death by killing the firstborn of the Egyptians, the Egyptians are now thrusting and there is no more negotiation. And that's really what I'm trying to get you guys to see. Because remember, all those times when Moses would come by the word of God to Pharaoh and say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And then sometimes there would be a threat of some form of judgment plague. This time, 
And, and, and this and then sometimes we see a Pharaoh try to negotiate with them. But now God has kicked the Egyptians teeth out of their mouths with this final one. And Pharaoh is he doesn't want to negotiate anything. So Moses, just like you said, I don't want to negotiate. Do it your way. Just get out of here. And that's basically what we have here. So no more negotiating with the little children. No more negotiating by leaving your flocks and your herd. Take your flocks and your herds. Just like you say, go worship your God. Just get out of here. Okay. And so then we see at the end of verse number 32, and here's what we want to see. Notice how Pharaoh is forced to acknowledge Yahweh alone is God greater than the gods of Egypt who are no gods. And notice what he says as now Egypt is left a broken nation by the power of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What is Pharaoh forced to say to even concede, to even request to Moses? Imagine Moses, the once man who ran out, who was considered to be nothing, who had a desert God, who who is as Moses went to Pharaoh initially and said, thus said Yahweh, the God of Moses. And he says, who is Yahweh? I don't know anything about this Yahweh. Notice what Pharaoh is forced to plead now. Bless me also. Now he asks Moses to bless him. He acknowledges truly your God is God. And that as your God has brought cursing, I understand too. He is one to deliver. He is also one to bless. He knows that God is God. And I don't want to take a tangent here, but again, it goes to the righteousness of God. So allow me just to deal with it. When God judges, he judges in righteousness. Mankind cannot say, Pharaoh cannot say, I do not believe that there is a God. I do not know that there is a God. God has made himself known, whether through great and marvelous works, as we see through Pharaoh, or through the marvelous works of creation itself. I was even considering that this very morning. The beautiful of crystal snow, of how a snowflake is made. The greater we advance in knowledge and we can see the intricacies of the things in this universe, we are forced through the very knowledge that we have, we are forced by the wonder and glory of this universe to say this thing had to be made by God. There is clearly a plan in all of the intricacies and wonders of the universe. God has made himself known through the glory of what he has created. There is a God. So therefore, when man goes contrary to God, rejects God, walks in his own way and wants to be his own God or set forth the gods of his own foolish imagination, God is righteous when he judges. Why? Because God has left enough evidence in this universe for all mankind to know that there is a God beyond this material universe, a God who created this material universe. God is righteous when he judges because he has left enough in this world to make men begin to seek after 
the God who made this world. Okay, enough of that. But Pharaoh has to say, bless me. He has to bow down to the God of Moses. All right, let's go a little bit further. Let's see how far can we go. Verse number 33. Continuing this sense of urgency to drive out the children of Israel because death is all around and the people are crying and wailing as the dead bodies of their loved ones probably still lie in the Egyptians' home. Verse 33, the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, so now there's a reflection from simply Pharaoh his counselors, the leaders of Israel. And the appearance is looking at now all the Egyptians as a whole in their mornings and in their feelings toward the children of Israel. And that is they wanted them to leave right now. And that's why we see God saying concerning the feast of the Passover. How did he say it? He command Moses to give the, the, the elders of the people. How did he tell them to do have your clothes on, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat the Passover in haste. Why? Passover 14th. Because the Lord will begin to deliver after death strikes the Egyptians. He will deliver. And the next day you will be leaving the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On this day, the Lord brought you out. Therefore, it is now the 15th. It is now the feast, first day of Unleavened Bread, the 15th. And what are they doing even that night, because remember, the evening is the beginning of the next day from evening to evening. That's how a day is reckoned. So as the Passover ended on the 14th at twilight, when that evening came, it became the 15th. And therefore, it is in that night when they send for Moses. And in that night, they're telling the children of Israel, Leave now. So they had to have immediately once they finished eating the Passover, they needed to be ready, dressed to leave as well as these passages saying previously, as Moses had instructed the children of Israel, he told them earlier, go to the Egyptians, ask them to give you clothing, silver, articles of silver and articles of gold. And God gave the, the children of Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians to give them a great deal of what they asked for. So as the death has come to the Egyptians that pass overnight, and now you got in that very night, uh, later on during the night, the Egyptians are telling the Israelites, go, 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 go. So we can see them say, go take what you want, take whatever you want that is ours. Take the clothing, what is our, even the best of our clothing. Take the silver and gold, the best of our silver and gold. Just take whatever you want and get out of here. Why? Because the Egyptians were saying, if these Israelites remain any longer, the rest of us will die as well. Not only will our firstborn be dead, we will all be 
dead men. So get what you want and just get out. And that's basically what happened. So because of the demand of the Egyptians to leave now, to leave in haste, what does it say? So that brings us back to the, the idea, the idea of unleavened bread, because what? Here's the point. And this is what God is trying to is trying to make us to see as a whole concerning the event concerning bread. Normally, after you would need the bread, you would then take the yeast and put it in the bread. And then once the yeast is put in the bread, it takes a little time for the bread to become leavened to rise and to a way you can now eat it. But because of the haste, the demand of the Egyptians leave now. The bread was only made and the children of Israel had no time to place yeast in it. Even though we understand the, the whole, that's the whole point of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Don't do it. But the idea of what is trying to take place, God is showing you in real time what's going on in these events that because of the bread, being made without leaven. You don't have time to put leaven in it so you can eat later on. Why? The Egyptians are saying, leave now. There's no time to put leaven. Leave now, leave now. And that's what the verse is saying. The children of Israel had no time to put yeast in the bread. It is simply showing you the haste, the quickness, the urgency that is that's being put by the Egyptians on the Israelites. Leave right now. And so it continues on to talk about the gold and the silver that Moses had told them, the articles of clothing. They plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians didn't give them a lip. They gave them a lot. This goes to fulfill basically two things. Genesis chapter 15, what God has spoken to Abraham, how that his descendants will be enslaved in a foreign land. And when God would bring them out, he would bring them out with great wealth. And then also what God said to Moses in his initial call to Moses and even later on as he spoke to Moses, it fulfills when God spoke to Moses how his people will plunder the Egyptians with great wealth. They will leave from Egypt with great wealth. And the idea is this serves as a semblance of some sense of repayment for the slavery of Egypt. And so now we see that this is fulfilled when it says that they plundered. So when the children of Israel left from Egypt, they had all kinds of material wealth. Okay, now let's continue. We got a little time to go a little bit further. 37. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number. They baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Okay, so simply saying, now this is the 15th of Nisan, and the children of Israel are now leaving. So now we have moved. The this is the night of deliverance. Passover has gone by. We have the 15th has now come. The children of Israel 
just imagine all of their great people have gathered in Ramses, basically a major city, and this is basically a treasure city of Pharaoh, and they have now journeying toward Sukkoth, and it was about 600,000 men, and that's basically how they reckoned the number, by the number of men uh, who could fight a war, usually 20 years of age and over, and this number was 600,000. And we'll find out in the book of Numbers, I believe, the exact number was 603,550. <laughs> so, this was the number of men that they left out. This does not include the women and the children. So when you bring the number of women and children out, the great mass of people would be approximately two million Israelites departed from Egypt. Verse number 38 lets us know not only were there Israelites leaving Egypt, but also a mixed multitude. The mixed multitude simply is a people who are not Israelites, but who are nevertheless departing from Egypt along with the Israelites. And we will find out later on these mixed multitudes will create problems in the so-called wandering in the wilderness. They'll begin to complain. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. But these are non-Israelites. But one of the things that I want you to see is this. They have responded to all of the plagues that God has brought upon the Egypts. And what do I mean by responding? Seeing the things that God has done, the God of Israel has done to the Egyptians, they are responding in faith. In other words, I want to go with you guys because clearly the idea is your God is God. And that's another thing that God was trying to accomplish. What? That the Egyptians may know, that the Israelites may know, that all the world may know what? that Yahweh is God. So what is the idea? The mixed multitude leaving with the Israelites are responding to what God has done in a sense of faith. They believe that the God who has struck the Egyptians is indeed God, therefore we will go with you. And this in a sense, in a sense, begins to fulfill, and I wouldn't even say the word begin, but it continues to fulfill what God has spoken to Abraham. That is chapter 12, Abraham, in the call of Abraham. In you, that is, in your seed, all the Gentiles, families of the earth, will be blessed. Blessed how? In coming to the knowledge of the true God, Yahweh. And here's where we see that semblance here, where these mixed multitude are coming to the knowledge that Yahweh is what? The true God, the God of the Israelites. Okay. All right. And then it ends. So in their journeying, verse number 39, people got to eat, <laughs> you know, but in their eating, what? Because of the haste, the rush, the Egyptians pushing them out. They hadn't had a chance to put yeast into the bread so that you can eat the good bread, that the dough. And so therefore they had to eat what? Unleavened bread. And so they had the bread that baked in the cakes, in their cake pans, bread baked in the cake pans that were unleavened. And this is what they had to eat because they had to leave out in a hurry. And at the end of this section here, 40 and 41, it just encapsulates their whole captivity in Israel. That is, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. So from the moment of their coming into Egypt 
until the moment of God delivering them. It was, and that's an amazing concept. And that's why it says it twice, because it's emphasizing the precision of God's hand, which speaks of God's power, God's control, and God's sovereignty. What? From the day of their coming to Israel until the day that brought them out, 430 years exactly. And this was the time for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These things are not by accident. It is by design, by the sovereign hand of God. Only a God of power, a God of knowledge, a God of such precision can come to the exact point that he spoke to Moses, that, I'm sorry, to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, for 400 years. And he says, 430 years to the date. Okay, and that's what he does. It. All right, we got a little time left. Let's just finish this whole thing out. And it might be a little long, but it's only a little bit left. And I don't want to even come up with another video just to finish out chapter 12. So the rest of this chapter basically is considering the Feast of Unleavened, I'm sorry, the Feast of the Passover. Remember, Passover Unleavened Bread, I'm going to celebrate it as one. But Passover is the central feast principle, the most important one. It is the one through which all the rest of them will be observed. Okay. Passover is foundational. So that's the idea concerning Passover. So he has talked about Passover, how to observe the Passover. And that those are the things that he's been talking about earlier. All right. But the Passover for the most part, as how it is to be observed from the is by the Israelites. And he has given those uh, instructions on how the Israelites are to observe the Passover. The remainder of this chapter basically deals with, well, suppose there are non-Jews, but they nevertheless want to observe the Passover. How should non-Jews or can non-Jews observe the Passover? And basically the rest of the rest of chapter 12, 42 to 51 is simply answering the question, giving them instructions. If there are non-Jews who want to observe the Passover, can they? And if they if they observe the Passover, how should they observe the Passover as well? Another point before we get into the text is if these non-Jews are desirous to to uh, observe the Passover, what this indicates about these non-Jews, which would basically be Gentiles. These are Gentile believers in the God of Israel, even though they are not Jews. They are Gentiles like that mixed multitude that we just got through talking about, like the mixed multitudes, the mixed multitude are non Jews. Okay. So if they are believers, we believe in Yahweh and therefore we want to observe. We want to show our faith too, but, and observe the rituals of the Passover. But what should we do? And this is the rest of those instructions. So let's just get into it. 42, it is a night to be observed, the Passover, for the Lord, for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner, Gentile, is to eat of it, but every man's slave purchased with money. After you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. 
a sojourner or hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All of the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. Okay, so now let me stop. And we'll look at each verse. And the reason why I'm going to look at each verse, because I have a tendency to skip stuff. And then I think at the end of the end verse, I said, wow, I forgot that. But let's look at each verse so I don't skip stuff. And I want to give you the full clarity. Okay, so now, remember, consider, Moses has already given the, the elders instructions concerning what to tell their families, how to observe the rites, the rituals, the custom of the Passover, what to do in the celebration of these things. He gives additional instructions. So we're just summarizing additional instructions that are given to them. So he says to them once again, concerning the Passover, the emphasis of it, because these are additional instructions. This is the night of the Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. It is a unique event because it is in this event that God will orchestrate the deliverance of the children of Israel from the slavery to the Egyptians. Therefore, it should be a memorial to be observed by each successive generation of Israelites. Okay, so this Passover ordinance, verse number 43, is to be observed as an eternal ordinance for every generation. But then he says, and as it is for the children of Israel's deliverance, no foreigner is to eat it. This is what we've been talking about. By a foreigner, no Gentile can eat the Passover. So therefore, what will come now is instructions. If such non-Jew is a believer, can he eat the Passover? The yes, but with qualifications. What are those qualifications? Now let's continue concerning slaves. Verse number 44. If a Jew has a slave, all right, a slave purchased with money in the household, just because he is a Jewish slave, he cannot eat the Passover. He must be first circumcised. In other words, just like the Jew is circumcised because no circumcised, uncircumcised Jew either can eat the Passover. A Jew must be circumcised. This was, he told uh, Moses, told the Jews in the early instructions for them, they must be circumcised. So if a Gentile slave owned by the Jew is saved, he believes in their God and he wants to eat the Passover. He too must be circumcised. Once the slave is circumcised, he can eat it. Verse 45, the sojourner or hired servant. A sojourner simply is a Gentile who is in the land of Israel. Okay. A Gentile, if for whatever reason he is there to make money or whatever, right? Or that's why I said a servant shall not eat of it. So no Gentile who the idea like a visiting Gentile, he cannot eat it. Even if he is professing, professing belief in the God of Israel. Again, the idea is, as we're going to see here, he has to be circumcised. So no Gentile uncircumcised can eat the Passover, even such a Gentile who may be professing belief in the God of Israel. All right. Then verse number 46, again, the qualification of the lamb. Remember, the lamb must be taken for a family. 
The lamb must be eaten by the members of the family in such a manner that no, the none of the lamb can be left over. That's why if it's not enough for one family, share it with the family next door to you. And then also he's just reiterating again, the lamb, you don't, you don't boil the lamb. You don't eat it raw. The lamb is to be burned, eaten, roasted over fire. And of course, whatever remains is to be burned with fire. And again, the point is all of the congregation is to eat it. And then he gives an additional instruction here in verse number 46 in that, uh, no bone shall be broken. And that is an additional instruction that we did not see earlier. That is in preparing the lamb for the sacrifice, for the Passover sacrifice, preparing that lamb, whatever you do, do not break any bone of that lamb. All right. Now it seems basically innocuous, this particular command, but it has a spiritual connotation that is to be seen much later. But let me just simply put this aside. So in all of the preparation for the lamb and what you'd be doing with the lamb, taking it from the 10th up until the 14th, observing the lamb, it has no spot, then killing the lamb, burning the lamb, everybody partaking of it. And the preparation of all of this, be certain, be certain not to break it. Okay, that's done. Now let's look at the spiritual connotation. Remember, all of these things pertains to Jesus, the true, what did John the Baptist call him? The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Death passes us by because remember, death is the product of sin. The wages of sin is death and God passes us by in this judgment of death. Why? Because the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb is shed. How does the breaking of the bone relate to Jesus? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb and therefore not a bone of him. I think it's, is it Psalm 22? Don't hold me to that, but we will look, look over those references once again. But we also find out in the gospels, not a bone of Jesus was to be broken. Why? Because notice as the religious leaders. Okay. Let me take you back very quickly. I want to wrap it up. <laughs> The religious leaders, as they were having Jesus put to death, and that's what they wanted, right? And Jesus being put to death. What was the Roman way of putting putting person to death? Crucifixion, to put him on the cross. Okay, I'll just slow it down. It'll take a little longer, but at least you'll understand it. They wanted Jesus put to death. Therefore, the Romans would crucify Jesus. And the whole issue of the mindset of the Romans is that the individual would suffer, not suffer for a little while, suffer for a long time. So let me walk you through it. So, OK, fine. Crucify Jesus. Remember, what should I do? Pilate said to one who is your king. And what did the, the religious leaders encourage the people say concerning Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. OK, fine. So they crucified Jesus. And when they crucified Jesus, they took him nailed him to a cross. And when they nailed Jesus to the cross, the act of this judgment, crucifixion is now going. But what I want you to understand, so let me stop babbling. You have to understand how the cross was actually built by the Romans. When they built the cross, the Romans, there was a place for the feet, a face place for the feet where the cross, uh, uh, where the person, okay, you put the hands, nail, in the, in the, in not just the hands, nail in the wrist, 
the wrists are nailed to the cross. The feet crossed one over to another. They are nailed at the lower parts of the feast, feet at the feet, <laughs> but also too at the feet and maybe sometimes at the little butt part, but especially at the feet would be a little boot on the feet. The idea is this, that the pressure of hanging up by your wrist, the pressure and the pain would be very, as you just hung and hung there, it builds and builds. And as the blood and fluid begins to build in the lung, the person hanging on the cross would find it hard to breathe. And so therefore, by having that little boot under the feet, not, not the nails, the nails are hurting, hurtful, but the boot under the feet, they could press up momentarily, just for a moment, use that boot to push themselves up to alleviate some of the pressure and the fluid building in the lung. And by having this pressure and fluid, by pushing up, they will get a moment of relief from the pressure and the fluid. And as long as they kind of can hold up and then they kind of give out once again and the process starts all over again. That is the point of the Romans. That's why they made the cross that way. They wanted you to suffer for a long time. All right. This is what they did with Jesus. OK, beginning that morning. But it was on a high day the high day of the celebration of the Passover and the Jews didn't want those bodies to hang because when a person is crucified by the Romans in this way, they could survive for a long time, even days they could survive because this is what, and this is what the Romans and, I, and I'm not babbling right here. This was the desire of the Romans. The crucifixion was not a short death. They wanted you to suffer a long time for a number of days, two, three days. You can hang there and imagine you suffer, suffer, suffer. So the Jews knew this and they understood how crucifixion worked. And because it was a high day, they did not want those bodies hanging on the cross. So what did the Jews say to be done? Remember, they got Jesus in mind. But also other Jews were hanging Remember, Jesus was crucified along with two thieves. So they go to Pilate and they said, we don't want these bodies hanging on the high day. Break the legs. Why break the legs? If you break the legs of Jesus and the rest of those other Jews being crucified, remember that little boot under the feet. If their legs are broken, they can't lift themselves up. And if they can't lift themselves up, they'll go ahead and literally drown to death, drown on the fluid and blood building up in their lungs, drown. And because of the, uh, the, the, the crucifixion, because of what's going on, they would just die very quickly. And so the Jews went to Pilate desiring uh, Pilate to have the soldiers break their legs so they can't keep lifting themselves up and prolong the process and quickly go ahead and die. So the soldiers go out with this command and they break the legs of those people, those two thieves that were crucified along with Jesus. They break their legs so that they can quickly go ahead and die. 
Now, when they came to Jesus, they began to notice he looked like he was already dead. Jesus died after six hours of hanging on the cross. And so what did one of those soldiers did? He took his spear and pierced Jesus in the side. He thrust him in the side. That is, if Jesus was not dead, he's going to respond to being stuck with this. He's going to jolt when he stuck with that, th that, that spear. But what happened when he stuck Jesus with that spear in his side, put it all the way up into his lungs, what happened? Jesus did not move because he was already dead. And what happened? Blood and water came from his side. This was the proof John said. I saw this with my own eyes, proving he had literally died on the cross and he was dead at that time. But my point here concerning Exodus chapter 12 about the bone of the lamb not to be broken. And because Jesus was already dead, they did not break any of his bones. And John said this fulfilled Exodus chapter 12, the Passover lamb. What? No bone was to be broken. Indeed, Jesus fulfilled. He was the true Passover lamb, and they did not break any of Jesus's bone. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? Okay. So, and, and let's now let's go back to the thing. We're going to wrap it up. I know it's long, but I'm tired of videos on chapter 12. Let's just finish 12. So all of the congregation, verse number 47, is to celebrate the how the instructions of the Passover to observe it in this way. And that idea is, let's go back into the text concerning Gentiles who ought to observe it. They too must be circumcised. Okay, let's wrap it up. Verse 48 and wrapping it up. But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, the whole idea of everything. And then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. That's the point of all the section. The same law shall apply to the native, that is the Jew, that is to the stranger who sojourns among you, Gentile. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. Okay, so verse number 48 simply ends with the whole point of it all of, of this final section. If you have a Gentile, whether the Gentile is a slave, whether he is a person who is just a Gentile visiting the land to come over for commercial reasons, to make money, whatever the reason is, an uncircumcised Gentile cannot partake of the Passover. And again, this uncircumcised Gentile would want to have the Passover, would want to eat it because he is a believer. This was this is later on what is will be known as a proselyte. Proselyte is a Gentile who a Gentile who believes in the God of Israel. But such a Gentile, if he is going to eat the Passover, he must be circumcised just like the Jew must be circumcised. And then he goes and say the same law. In other words, as the Jew has to be circumcised to eat the Passover, the same law that applies to him, this same law applies to the Gentile. And then verses number 40, 50 and 51 basically ends it with obedience 
to these instructions from the children of Israel. So as God has instructed Moses, so Moses instructed the elders of Israel who instructed these Israelite people and the Israelite people obeyed God in these instructions. And so we wrap up chapter 12 with the giving of the instructions of what? The Passover and how to observe it. The instructions of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover one, fe one day feast, Unleavened Bread, seven day feast, and how to observe it. And also the, how the observance of the Passover with non-Jews are to be observed with this thing illustrating the great power of God and bringing the death to the Egyptians, ending with the release of the children of Israel from slavery plundering the Egyptians of their clothing, the silver and the gold, and the children of Israel in massive numbers aligned to leave from 430 years of slavery as they depart from the land of Egypt. And we close chapter 12. Thanks for joining me on that one. Join me next time as we now move into chapter 13 and we begin the first moments of freedom. See you then.